You're listening to Coming of Cage, a Nicolas Cage podcast. Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Coming of Cage podcast. I am your host, Derek, and I've got my co-host and partner in crime, Ryan, with me. Hello. Hey, Ryan. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. 2023. Here we are. 2023. It's crazy. It feels like just less than a year ago we started this show. It feels like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... uh, when did we start the show? I don't even remember. I don't think we've had hey. our one, actual one year anniversary yet. But. No, we haven't. That's the yeah. that's the joke. Oh, that's okay. Well, joke. nobody will get that unless they're paying attention. So that's true. To the diehard coming of cagers out there, that's they right. know they know what's up. Uh, but since it is like this is our first episode of 2023, I thought we could just real quick maybe say our uh, the movies that we like the most and the least. That we have covered so far on the show we've had 16 episodes prior to this so 16 movies to choose from and ryan do you have a favorite out of those 16 uh yeah yeah i think i do um i think it was if you've listened to the episodes if you listen to every single one of our episodes there's one that i was not expecting to enjoy nearly as much as i did moonstruck because i had never seen it before i know that's kind of a travesty but i'm very (laughs) glad i watched it it was just a lot of fun uh and and cage was just chef's kiss you know it was just wonderful what about you derek that's nice that's nice so yeah i mean like if we're going off of you know kind of your take on that then i'm gonna go with one that surprised me one that i had not seen before that i really typically wouldn't like this kind of movie and that's the family man i knew you were gonna say that one you did enjoy that movie i did and like while i didn't score it the highest on quality uh, over the course of the show here it really kind of struck a chord with me personally and it was just a really pleasant surprise it's a nice holiday movie i really liked it I really did. It's kind of yeah. awesome. Is it going to be one feels. of your Christmas slash holiday slash Hanukkah traditions <laughs> from now on? You're going to watch it every year. I don't know about that necessarily. Oh wow. Okay. But you know, well, you know, the wife and kid have have a say in it. You know, sure. So. But they're not there all the time. I mean, you'd be surprised. <laughs> That's true. If you know Derek, you know that they're there all the time. All the time. Uh, but yeah. Okay. So now, what about your least favorite, or dare I say, is there one you truly disliked? Well, I mean, my heart is telling me Zondelay, but my body's telling me Cotton Club. <laughs> They're currently That's in a interesting. Well, so Zondelay was just really like, if you listen to the episode, I don't need to recap everything, but it was just really bad and uncomfortable to watch. Whereas, but at least like, it kept you watching because of how bad and uncomfortable it was. But whereas cotton club, I just like falling asleep after about 25 minutes of it. So there's just nothing there that really gripped me, so to speak. That's fair. I mean, the cotton club certainly isn't one of our high higher scored films. I was going back and forth between Zondali for the, the same reasons, you know, you were saying, and dog eat dog which is what we dog eat dog is pretty last. low too yeah 
I think push come to shove, I would say dog eat dog wow. because it doesn't have any of the quirky charm that Zondali has in a few moments with like, you know, judge and, and cage together and those horrible new Orleans accents that they're putting on. Like there's just some fun silliness to Zondali that dog eat dog does not have. So no, but it has some like weird trippy moments that uh, Zondali doesn't have. So true but i think push come the shove if i if i have to watch one of those two i'd rather watch zondali than dog eat dog i think fair enough yeah so there you have it there you have it our our favorites and least favorites ryan went with moonstruck as his favorite the family man for me and then the bottom of the list is what the cotton club for you and dog eat dog for me sure yeah that works okay there you go but, you know, we covered some other films. Uh, we covered, what, 12 other films throughout the year. So please go check those out if that is of interest to you. We kicked things off with the unbearable weight of massive talent when it just came out in May last year is when we covered it. So, all right. This week, however, we are kicking things off in 2023 with Stolen. Stolen is the movie that we are covering from 2012, starring Nicolas Cage, um, uh, Ackerman, Malin Ackerman, Ackerman, Josh Lucas, Danny Houston, and Sammy Gale. And I expected this to be like a take and rip off, and it was to an extent because this movie kind of came out, or what I don't remember what your taking came out, but there was like a rush of movies when that movie came out with its success, even though I didn't really find that one particularly great either. Um, but yeah, a bunch of different movies featuring all these like aging action heroes came out mm-hmm. trying to ca- recapture the success or, or, or appeal of Taken. And I expected this one to be like it. It was less by the book like Taken than some of the other because mo- we've watched at least one other one that was also one of the, one of the like a Taken ripoff. Uh, a little bit. I think that was Rage, where Rage. his daughter supposedly gets killed by some gangsters. No spoilers. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that one, that one, uh, I probably would say is clo- was closer to like the actual taken plot line than this yeah. one. This one has similarities for sure. And the name is kind of, I mean, <laughs> you know, subtle. Yeah. But, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was less like taken than I thought it would be. So that's good. That's a plus, I guess. One of the few you'll get. Yeah, so the the quick synopsis is a former thief frantically searches for his missing daughter who has been kidnapped and locked in the trunk of a taxi. And to add a little bit of context, a taxi in New Orleans on Fat Tuesday because that's just the bad luck of our protagonist, William Montgomery. Right. So, yeah. Um <laughs> So this movie is directed by Simon West, who also directed Nick Cage in Con Air, by the way, and written by David Guggenheim, who wrote both of the Christmas Chronicle movies. Wow. Yeah, there you go. Definitely like less Kurt Russell in this movie than those movies. A lot less. Less Goldie Hawn. Yeah, yeah, that too. Uh, I think they both would have improved this movie. (laughs) I think they couldn't have made it much worse. So, yeah. Man, I, I, there's no movies that have Kurt Russell and Nick Cage in them, which that I can think of at least, which makes me sad. That is a little sad. Yeah. Someday. There's still time. Yeah. Expendable six. That's true. Um. All right. So Ryan, you took some notes, probably. I did. Yeah, I did. And 
this movie, I'll just say right out of the gate, was not very interesting. I didn't think. Maybe you disagree, Derek. So, like, some there's definitely going to be like I usually try and get at least something from like each major scene or like each scene that you know, so that we can kind of recap the movie, you know, scene by scene. But this one, there were just like some scenes where just no, literally nothing interesting happened, um, or I wasn't sure why it was there, or you know, I I don't know, like nothing to drive the plot actually happened. So, you know. This- this was It'll a, be a weird, little bit everywhere. This is a weird movie for me because in the moment I found myself like stressed out at certain times for Will, um, Nicholas wow. Cage's character. And then in retrospect, as I'm thinking about the movie and finding more and more and more problems with it, uh, not to say I didn't find a, certain problems in the initial viewing, uh, but more opened up over the last 20 hours or so as I've been thinking about it. So it got me like in the so moment. you enjoyed it less as time went yes. on yeah exactly in the moment okay. i was like this is like high stakes i'm like i will say that this kept my attention better than a lot of the other movies that yeah. we've watched uh you know some of the outcast cotton club like i mentioned before yeah. some of these have been very dry and i don't do well with dry like you could call some of them artsy i would say cotton club's kind of an artsy movie but this one definitely was more like actiony and like mm-hmm. kept kept going so that was it was definitely an easier watch than some of the other movies we've watched. Yeah. And there's a hundred percent less racism that I noticed, which was good, and less homophobia. But there was a lot of like sexist, misogynist there was misogyny, yeah. In the beginning of the movie. We have to take what we can get, Derek. Specifically. Take yeah, but it was like it. it was so um what's the word I'm looking for? It was just so over the top in the beginning of the film you know how there's like the, there's basically like a prologue because we watch will get you know arrested everything up until then right you've got uh what's the guy's face hoyt is just like the absolute somehow he is still like the worst person in the movie <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah I... I do think though before we dive into this i think this is another prime example of nick cage's character is an ass but everybody else is worse so he looks like the good guy. Better, which is pretty right. Yeah, that's pretty common in these movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there are some big plot points that I want to talk about that may at some point that maybe my notes didn't quite cover. So uh, we'll have to remember to get into that because I don't want to forget them. Okay. Um, but okay. So right in the very beginning of the movie, we get another trope from these Nick Cage movies where a guy just starts walking in the middle of the street. <laughs> For a moment, I thought it was him. Just for a brief moment. No, I he had a his silhouette was much larger, unless Nick Cage was in like a something to make him appear bigger. Well, that was uh, the thing. I was like, why? Why does the? I thought he looked funny, but you know, yeah. I, I just thought it was Nick for a moment. So basically, this whole this whole prologue is him with what three other people mm-hmm. setting up a heist. Um, it's him. It's Melon Ackerman. Uh, and then this like crazy ass dude that's clearly going to be the villain like you know it immediately Vincent. because he he he's like literally a mustache he doesn't have a mustache so not literally I guess <laughs> but he acts like a mustache twirling villain the whole time but you can definitely tell he's evil and there's no redeeming qualities throughout the whole movie none at all um, and then there's another guy that doesn't really do much throughout that's the whole movie so yeah Hoyt yeah. Uh, he doesn't really do anything except get killed uh but yeah, so, the, the you know, they go through this whole heist in the beginning of the movie. And literally, this is kind of where the sexism started for me. Malin Ackerman does nothing 
I don't even think she has a line for like the entire prologue until the very end of it. She says something to somebody, but she literally just bobs her head and smiles at Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. And that's the entirety of her character. And realistically, through the movie, she does not get any more than that. She not does really. team up with him later, but she doesn't bring any skills to the table or anything that would make you think, wow, he definitely picked the right person to go on the side with. No, because like, and to be very clear here, she doesn't talk in the beginning, but she's in every shot because yes. they're in this van. She's in the back of the van, yeah. Yeah, so she's there. Her She's actually in the center of the screen. Yeah, right? and they're just talking around her the whole. That's time. why it stood up, or stood out to me the whole yeah. time because she's just literally looking at Nick Cage and smiling mm-hmm. and like giving him the eyes. And yeah, she does say a couple of things to Hoyt because she ends up just her and Hoyt because she's she's I guess the getaway driver uh, initially, and you know he makes a couple of all, all of anything he says over the radio is done with just like ridiculous sexual connotation and terminology when it's just like grotesquely unnecessary yeah you know like it just got kind of like uncomfortable less uncomfortable and more of just like all right can we move on like okay we get it you know and she calls him out for it at some point in a sarcastic way and it doesn't really go anywhere and yeah that's it i'll say that that starts right now and that whole not the sarcastic or the sexy you know sexist comments whatever but her uselessness throughout the whole movie and just ability to be there to be eye candy or whatever it continues through the whole movie literally the only thing she does the whole movie that is of any import to the group is that she pulls solid like chunks of gold that has solidified that was liquid out of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gloves. she helps him carry some of the equipment. Yeah, that is the only thing you see her do throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And so you don't really like you're just kind of left wondering why is she there? What she clearly doesn't have if, if she had some skills specifically, mm-hmm. you would think they would have utilized those skills, but they make no qualms about not using her in any way that's interesting except to have a woman on the screen. Yeah, it, it was kind of like they decided, you know, Hoyt and Vincent, they're going to be bad guys. So we need somebody for Will to work with in this. Yeah. So we'll just make it an attractive woman. Yeah, and she's going to be so good. And like, you know, <laughs> basically, there's, she's going to have no issues at all throughout the movie. She's just a good person that's caught in a bad situation. And she's going to be like the beacon of light in this movie. She's like the only one that is not worse than Nick Cage. No, she actually seems to be doing quite well. She's yeah, you know, working in a gone nice straight. bar. She's got a cool truck. Like she's doing fine. Yeah, she's gone straight from her life of crime. She's mm-hmm. she doesn't want to get back into it. She doesn't express any regrets or anything like that about not still doing that. So yeah, nope. um, so yeah, that was my second note was Malin Ackerman just literally just bobs her head and laughs. Yep. Um, and then Nick Cage heist because I don't think we've had a Nick Cage heist in any of these movies really. This well, I guess a... Dog Eat Dog had some stuff like that but it wasn't really i wouldn't call it a heist because it wasn't really well thought out right you know his character was kind of an idiot not an idiot but like he doesn't plan things out he's just very spur of the moment in that movie in this movie everything's planned out yeah i think that so that's it's more fair. traditional heist you yeah know? I, when i think heist i think like brooklyn 99 halloween heist type thing where they plan this stuff out for months mm-hmm and that definitely seemed to be more the case in this movie. Well, so I think this know, is the first true heist. We see Nick do some heists in like, you know, National Treasure, of course, gone in 60 seconds. Well, we haven't watched those on the show. No, no, but, no, but yes. like, you know, so he's, he has he is known to do them. This is our first one on the show. That we've seen. Yeah. So then the I don't even remember where specifically this happened. But so they're robbing a vault of a bank. They go through the wall of a toy store, I think. 
to get into the vault of a bank, which where there's a bunch of gold that's like got a chain link fence in the middle of this vault for some reason, blocking it from the rest of the like nobody can if you can get into this vault, you won't be able to get through that chain link fence. But uh there's just like three blocks of money in this vault, and that's it, other than the gold on the other side of the chain link fence. Apparently it was ten million dollars worth of cash. Ten million dollars I mean, worth cash, but it's literally like three 12 by 12 bricks yeah it's it's one one duffel bag yes which, easily I mean, fits in one duffel bag you know um and so yeah so yeah the he they're being watched by the fbi i think it is yes well all this is going on and the fbi is like oh we got it we got it we got to get in and they don't realize that they're in the wrong spot for a while like they think that they're being because they they thought that they were hitting the the jewelry store that's next to the toy right store. a diamond store yeah, yeah or whatever yeah but they're not they're hitting the bank on the opposite side of the block so. right so they all went to the wrong place and then they're all like driving around the block I guess it was maybe faster I don't know all the police get in their cars and make it an emergency to all drive really fast around the block and uh when they get over there i guess the bank door was closed and so instead of like breaking a window because it's all glass or <laughs> anything like glass. that they they just <laughs> chain it up to like one of their uh armored transport vehicles and rip the door off the hinges for some reason i don't really it took way longer there's even a line that's like it doesn't have to be pretty you just need to open it and i'm like <laughs> And that's the solution. The glass, man. This is the like, FBI. They don't have something that can break basic glass on the front of a bank. Well, I, I will say this: this movie does not make the FBI look good. No, <laughs> it does also not make heisters look good, like bank robbers. <laughs> Everybody good. just looks awful. Yeah, really bad. Uh, um, and then we get the first Fast and the Furious scene of the movie. And I say Fast and the Furious well, scene so sarcastically. Wait, you're, you're, I think you're skipping over. Like the crux oh, like of the a, film. Oh God, yes. Okay. All right. So when Vincent, so Vincent and Will, Nick's character, are the ones who are actually going in the vault, and as they're leaving, there's like some poor janitor guy in the alley, and he's seen their faces. So Vincent wants to kill him, and Will, Will doesn't do homicide. He says, and so they have a confrontation, and Vincent ends up getting shot in his own leg. Uh, it's unclear to me if he sh- did it or Nick did it or if it so. Was- I, I the way I saw it was that the crazy guy had his hand on the gun and his finger on the trigger. That's Vincent. And when Nick Cage's character moved his hand down away from the guy, uh, it like made him pull the trigger essentially. Gotcha. So that's he blames Nick Cage's character for it, but when in reality it was his finger on the trigger, right? You know, he he's just trying to pull the some, guy. Like, random janitor guy. Right. So they he so Will drags Vincent all the way to the getaway van, realizes he forgot the money, so he's gonna run back and get the money. And then Hoyt, you know, drives off because for some reason he's driving instead of Riley, because even though she's the getaway driver. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah. We never see her drive, so whatever. Uh she pulls the van into the parking garage. Oh, that's true. Yeah, know. good point. Uh, so we know she can drive at that point. So yeah, he drags her back or drags him back to the van and then he realizes that he forgot the money God. you're a bank robber that forgot the money and so he has to run back up. yeah he has to run back to where the money was which is like 50 feet away and instead of waiting for him they just drive off mm-hmm. and leave him and so he goes and punches a cop which he does in a lot of these movies <laughs> turns out and uh <laughs> steals the cop car which Okay, and this is where the first Fast and the Furious scene begins. And I call them Fast and the Furious scenes because 
I'm a sarcastic person. <laughs> no. This this is not like a cop crown Vic. It's like a 1995 Mercury Mar- Marquis or something like that with like cop lights and stickers on it. And it every chase scene and there's several in this movie are very they're very slow. <laughs> you know, people I don't this is way off topic for this movie, but there was this the the show Book of Boba Fett came out last year and everybody was harping on this one chase scene in the movie because you've got these like land speeders that look super fast and the scene is filmed in a way that makes it look like it's supposed to be fast but they're actually moving super slow Mm -hmm. and that's what i felt like with this because it's like all action cuts and like things like that but the car looks like like you can see it passing other cars it's going like 35 miles an hour (laughs) i mean it's horrible and eventually he like gets stuck in this parking garage where like a bunch of homeless people are hanging out i guess and there's like burn barrels and stuff i think that was a building that was like condemned or under construction yeah and people were living homeless people were living in it and there's burn barrels in it and whatnot which comes into play later but uh you see him like basically get arrested and that's where they uh they the that was the prologue to set up for the rest of the movie um and and in this moment i went did he hide the money i wrote that as a note and then you find out literally like four seconds later because it shows him like talking to the cops, getting out of jail, saying they're going to find the money or whatever. Uh, and I put yes right after that. He did hide the money, in fact. Did you ever see the movie Blue Streak? I did with Martin Lawrence where he hides the di- giant diamond in a like vent. Yeah, in a building that's under construction. It turns yeah. out to be a police, be a police station. station. Yeah, I had that thought where I was like, I wonder, like, are they going to Blue Streak this? <laughs> Yeah, it ends yeah. up being a, a jewelry store or something. I'd either. much rather watch that movie, to be honest. <laughs> um, hope you got what? What does this even say? Oh, God. one of the guys. Sorry, my handwriting. <laughs> when I'm trying to write these notes, I mean, you should see me. I'm like, I have like a huge thought in my head, and I'm like trying to watch the movie, and I'm scribbling these notes down, and they get real bad. Like, <laughs> we're gonna auction this journal off on eBay when I when we're through this podcast and somebody can see how bad these notes are and see if you can decide from but piece of history yeah um so one of these cops that was in the prologue chasing him not the main one but like the, the side cop fletcher guy. played by fletcher. mark valley oh yeah his... i have his name here yeah he fletcher. tells nick cage that he hopes he got raped every day yeah i'm like yeah. That that was that. I don't think that was okay to say in 2012 or no. f- like funny. It's not funny now either. Like no, that because like or okay. Look, like these guys are like bank and jewelry store robbers. Like yeah, they're not murderers. You know, you know? Like, and even that I wouldn't even say that to a murderer. Like that's not something to ever say to anybody. It's really. not. It's a it's a bad look. Like the F. That's what I was saying. Like the FBI looks as bad as the criminals throughout most of this movie yeah that was that was the one line i'll say i think i i think that was the only line i quoted in my notes for this Mm -hmm. movie because it was just so bad so yeah i had that note in there it said not okay fletcher um and then we get a scene well there's some stuff that happens right he gets picked up by the police or the fbi i mean yeah and when he gets out of jail and they basically try and intimidate him into saying we're gonna find out where you put this money we know you hid this money whatever and, and they take him and drop him Im- off at his ex-wife's house. But most importantly, Will finds out that Vincent has died while he was while Will was in prison. 
Right. Vincent died while he was in prison. Yeah, he fell Nothing into a suspicious about that. We get three people telling him that over the next five minutes. So, you know, it must be really important. I'm sure he's actually dead. <laughs> um, so then we get a scene where he goes to, I think it's his ex-wife's house with yeah. his daughter. And by the way, I do want to point out that the FBI doesn't notice at any point that this random cab has followed them this entire way. Right. Yeah, there's well, I mean, it's New Orleans. Apparently, there's a lot of cabs there. I, I don't guess, know. but these are supposed to be FBI agents. Like, you don't notice if someone's tailing you, right? That's <laughs> fair. Well, they were so focused on making rape jokes, to right? Um, right. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. it gets that takes a lot of focus. Um. So then we get the scene with his daughter, and I, I went out. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this was probably the best, maybe strongest scene in the movie for me. He was really good in the scene with his daughter. Oh, at the coffee shop? Was it at the coffee shop? I thought he was talking to her at the house. Well, he does. They, they talk at the house for a little bit. And yeah, then... it was basically both of those scenes. Okay. And both the scenes where he was like genuinely interacting with his mm-hmm. daughter. And the girl that plays his daughter was really wonderful, too. Yeah, Sam Miguel. Um, but he he was very good in this scene. He was better than he deserved to be in this movie, I think. Uh, like that scene really stood out to me. I actually felt really bad for him in that mm-hmm. scene. So, and I thought she was good too. Like I I don't think I've seen her in anything else, but uh, yeah, I thought that the two of them it was it was a really good realistic interaction for me, and I appreciated like so they did this teddy bear thing, which is I guess supposed to be an homage to Con Air since it's the same director. Uh, but he gets this teddy bear like a bodega outside of you know the bus station i guess and he gives it to her and she's like 15 or something now you know so it's a little awkward but she kind of takes it and it just it felt very realistic for those two people yes yeah it did given their circumstances and everything yeah it was that was a really good scene Mm -hmm. um doesn't make me want to recommend this movie to anybody anymore (laughs) because that was basically the only scene where you got and felt like there was actually genuine emotions going on Mm -hmm. but um okay so now that we met the daughter my next note says so now the daughter gets stolen and ransomed for 10 mil question mark immediately (laughs) nailed it (laughs) it was was so predictable what was about to happen um and so yes the dude that was supposedly dead big surprise you're gonna get this a lot in this movie that there's a you're told one thing and yet the, the exact opposite thing happens with no explanation um and you're supposed to be like whoa twist uh but in reality you're just like uh, okay uh but yes the vincent guy is alive and i know listeners you're all surprised by this so i'll give you a second to take it in he has seen better days not only is he alive he looks (laughs) my next note is comically bad like They went they went to the the like FX people that do like the hair and makeup and everything and they were like one of everything. <laughs> God. We're going to give him a bad wig. We're going to give blonde, him blonde, dirty blonde hair. <laughs> yeah. They're going to give him like really bad facial aging that like makes him look like he's just been smoking for 40 years. <laughs> They're going to they mess with every part of him to make him look like these last eight years because i think he was in prison for eight years yep. um have just destroyed this guy tore him apart and you're led to believe that 
when they're talking about how he died or whatever, that it was because he owed money to the wrong people and he'd been getting in the wrong crowd, which is very believable given the like mustache twirling that he was not literally because he didn't have a mustache doing mm-hmm. in the beginning of the movie. But yeah, it was he looked <laughs> caught like a comically bad, bad guy. He went through such a transformation in eight years. He did. And like the dude is like totally nuts. Like he cut off three of his own fingers to fake his death. He lost most of his leg from the bullet uh, wound. And so, you know, he's got a prosthetic leg. He's missing his fingers. He's got the bad wig. Uh, and he's a cabbie legitimately. He's worked there for two years. He's just been waiting just to set up for this moment. Yeah. He's just been so, waiting. Could I you imagine remember. how different this movie would be if Will Montgomery had gotten out of prison on any other day of the year than Fat Tuesday? I mean, yeah, it would have been a much different movie. We get a random scene right before this of him soundproofing the back of his cab. I mean, I guess we needed that because that might have been a major plot hole. Why can't anybody hear her screaming? And there are scenes of her screaming in the trunk, but like... That scene screamed to me as like that was picked up by people in like a screening. <laughs> right, and they needed you know? to add it because you never see any of the actors. You literally just see like somebody with a paint roller like mm-hmm. rolling on uh, li- like liquid foam to insulate the, the back of it. At first, um, I wasn't exactly sure what what he was doing, and he throws like fake stars in the background in the in the trunk. I'm like, yeah, what, it was very happening? weird. He's like decorating it for her. I don't know what was going on there, but yeah, it definitely felt like an additional scene because people were like, "Well, why can't they hear? She's screaming in the trunk." Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so then we have she gets stolen, I think, and Nick Cage's character is like running through the streets of uh, Nolans. Well, so so what happens? So he gets a package uh, that that his his daughter gives him that had been left off, and he's he goes to see Riley at her cop bar that she works at now, and the phone the package starts ringing, and that's when he gets to talk to Vincent and finds out he's alive and he's taken his daughter. Right, and so then he starts like running through the streets to try and find somebody or something. I can't imagine what at this point, but that that part was kind of unclear. Like he runs, he get he buy, he, he, so he lies to vincent about where the money is to guess buy himself time tuscaloosa tuscaloosa uh and he buys a, a burner, burner phone, phone that he forwards the other number to which i i was impressed that a guy who's been in prison for eight years would have knows how to do that how to do that yeah that's true you especially know, now, like during tw- if it was 2012 like modern day when the movie takes place that means he would have been in in 2004 so it's just flip phones and now he's using like a blackberry right he knows what he's doing he knows how to forward it and everything when like like i've i've listened to some interviews about people who like spent you know five ten eight you know 15 years in prison and they were saying like the hardest one of the hardest things to deal with is like the advancement of technology you know because it doesn't really advance for you while you're in prison most of the time right so like that whatever but that's supposed to paint the picture that he's this brilliant guy well and he also operation vincent also tells him uh, you have eight rings to answer or something yes. like that, or else I'm going to kill your daughter immediately. Um, and so that's why he did the forwarding from the from the, bur- the other right. burner phone to or to the whatever. The, they're, from they're, one phone they're to tracking, the other. They're tracking the package phone. So he throws right. this on a train that he to gets Tuscaloosa. On, to Tuscaloosa to buy himself time to do other stuff while they think he's on the train. Right um and so then he starts like running through the streets at some point i don't know if this was before or after the train and the the fbi people see him and they're like well we gotta get we gotta get him for some reason he hadn't done anything yeah, as far as you can tell so th- this kind of bothered me because like now look 
I guess I don't know what the FBI does to people who get out of prison after they've been in prison. Yeah, I wouldn't think it would be legal to just be like tailing somebody without probable cause. Not even not even just tailing. They're like actually chasing, chasing through the streets. this dude down. They're assaulting other people to follow Will. Right. Like it again, like the FBI comes off like its own villain. Yeah. In this movie. Yeah, and of course they're in New Orleans and it's Fat Tuesday or whatever. And so he puts on, he finds a mask on the streets and puts it on. And, and then instantly, it's like Assassin's Creed. If you've ever played those <laughs> games, you look totally different than everybody else. But if you just press the triangle button when people are walking by, then you're magically hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, my next note was, man, how do police do anything during Mardi Gras? I'm, yeah. That you just put on a mask and then magically you disappear into the crowd. It's such a important crux of the plot though because it comes up constantly we see the parade multiple times they talk about the traffic jams constantly in this movie right you see them pretty regularly right it just becomes a whole thing throughout the movie it's referenced and so like if he had gotten out of prison on any other day it would have been a much different movie completely different movie okay so i lied earlier when i said that that was the only line that i had quoted in this Um, I don't remember who said it. I think maybe it was Fletcher. You, you maybe you can remind me. Somebody says he's a clever tree frog. <laughs> no, that's that's Harland. So, okay, Harland. Yeah. Why? Like it, it has no relevance to anything that happens anywhere in this movie. Why a tree frog? I don't know enough about tree. And nobody frogs. comments on. Nobody thinks no. it's weird. Well, because so Har- Harland's got this strange obsession. He even uses the word ad- admiration. He says he admires Will to fletcher because fletcher doesn't understand why harlan's like giving him the time of day and he admires will montgomery and so i assume there's something relevant about a tree frog i don't know enough about tree frogs i mean i like tree frogs i i know a little bit about them but i don't really know what would what the comparison there is like meant what what, i don't anyway it was a really weird comment nobody says anything about it so I guess in this area, it's like a common saying. I don't really know. But it was, as somebody that lives in Kansas City, that was a weird thing to say. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a regional thing. I don't know. Um, so then we get uh, Nick Cage's FBI break-in, which isn't really a break-in so much as it is just like a walk-in and well, then punch somebody and steal their ID. Well, so first he goes in to ask for help. He goes to Harlan to tell Harlan, this is what's happening. Please help me find my daughter. And Harlan and Fletcher think he's lying. They think he's lying because they're trying. He's trying to get his, his money, and he's trying to lie about the money and all that. And that's where you find out that Will burned the money in one of those burn pits, yeah, um, or burn barrels, excuse me, uh, earlier in the movie. And they don't believe him because, of course, he would lie about that to you know to get get to his money and all that. And so, but also when he was asking him for help, it's never really clear if he is actually being genuine or if he just wanted to get into the have a reason to be at the FBI without being suspicious so that he could get the information. I think it was genuine. I think he straight, It's kind of left to interpretation though. I mean, I don't know. I I don't think He's shown to be a manipulative and clever guy, so it's not like it's out out of character that he would just do that. I, I agree, but I do... I agree with you too by the way. I do think he was being genuine, yeah. but it is, it is a little ambiguous. I mean, I I think we're supposed to lean on everything he said after he gets out where like he really like he's going to be straight, he wants to do this for his daughter, he wants to have a relationship with her, you know, like that's the one thing in his life that he cares about at this point so i do think like he immediately was like who do i know who could help and he went straight to harland yeah because the truth is is he didn't have to 
go into Harlan's office if he was just going to do what he ended up doing. Right. Right. I think he, like he made himself aware there, which he didn't have to do. I think he really wanted Harlan's help because Harlan mentions that he's got kids, right? When he arrests Will, he's like, you know, my wedding day, the birth of my twins and today the highlights will, you know, like that's like right. a thing that he says when he's arresting him. And so I think Nick will is trying to, you know, plead to Harlan and be as a, as a father and be like, help me, my daughter's in trouble. And the Could FBI be. being the crack, crack shot group that they are in this, Throughout film, this whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Are just like, nah, you're lying. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so then here. he, then when he's on his way out after not getting help, he goes into the elevator where there's a couple other FBI people and he immediately punches them both unconscious one and of steals their IDs. Oh, was one of them? Fle- yeah. Oh, yeah, one of them was Fletcher. Yeah, he punches the shit out of both of them and handcuffs them to a rail that's in the elevator for some reason. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, it worked out well. And then <laughs> takes their ID to go find out about the cab company or something. I can't remember exactly. Well, he was looking up a couple of things. So he looks up Vincent to kind of get more information about his death. And then he looks up Hoyt, which was the, the, the other person on their four-person team when they did the break-in the guy that drove away despite not being the getaway driver yes so then i think it's vincent gets makes a comment about how something is the best thing that's happened in new orleans since katrina oh yeah he did say something what was i don't remember what exactly what the reference was but i thought that was really tasteless too there's a lot of like weird tasteless and i get that you're supposed to establish that these are bad guys but i feel like there's got to be a better way to do it than making comments about rape and that katrina was good well, that's the thing. Like at this point, we know Vincent's a bad guy, like, right? He, Just look he, at him. He faked his own death. He cut off his own fingers to do it. He's kidnapped this innocent teenager, you know, to to get over on his partner who could have ratted him out, you know, when he went to trial and didn't, right? So like, I, I think I feel pretty... And oh yeah, this dude just wanted to kill a random janitor in an alley. Like I, I'm fine believing Vincent's a bad guy without making like bad katrina references like people right. died like real people real people died you know? yeah and real people get raped and I, so yeah, neither of yeah. those things are fun to be joking about in my opinion well um, and, and the rape thing is that's fletcher he's an fbi agent right that's he's not, not even that's one of the, the least professional like, thing you could possibly say right it's awful yeah and so my next or my next uh note is that all the action scenes are real bad lots of cuts like you never really actually see a complete movement all together. It's yeah. just like there's cuts throughout every single like fight scene or anything. I don't know why a lot of these like small budget films with Nick Cage do this. I think just because they they don't maybe because to... stunt teams are expensive. Yeah. I don't know, but stunt yeah, and they're choreography, all that. right? You have to have a choreographer who knows what they're doing. And... Well, yeah, the stunt people a lot of times are also yeah. that's part fair. Of the choreography, yeah. but. But in any case, yeah, that must be what where they cut the corners for these movies because they're always like super cut filled, real bad. Uh, you know, we don't have to dig into it too far, but that's uh, it's something. It is. There is a funny moment though. So when he goes to see Hoyt, he's arguing with Hoyt. They're fighting each other, right? And you know, he finds out Hoyt's the one who's been tracking the phone and everything. And the FBI is just outside the door, like twenty guys are just sitting there, their guns pointed at this door, and Harlan's just. Like, you know, I forget exactly how he phrased it. He's like, you know, let the squabbler squabble squabble or something. Yeah. Um, and then one of them pulls out a shotgun <laughs> and starts shooting it, and they still don't go in. He's, still like, he's like, wait, wait. Yeah. Wait until you see the whites of their eyes. <laughs> you know. Hold. And then uh, it's, that's my next note, actually police murder, because as soon as they open the door, or as soon as the door gets open, I think the 
I don't remember who opened it actually. Hoyt. Hoyt opened it. Yeah. Okay. And then he immediately gets gunned down. Well, and... so to their the FBI's credit here, Hoyt opens the door holding the shotgun after there's been gunfire, and he does start to raise the gun. Now, did they have to shoot him, you know, uh, uh, several times in the chest? Probably not. I wasn't I wasn't but... saying that they were wrong for shooting him by any <laughs> means, but they definitely just straight up killed him and shot shoot first, ask questions later type scenario. But that buys Will enough time to jump out of the window. It does, yes, which he does. Um, and my next note is neck injection. Yeah, so Vincent keeps injecting some chemical into allison the daughter uh into her neck to like knock her out to be honest that's like a trope in movies and tv shows that i i'm really okay with just like not happening anymore you can i feel like a lot of these things you can inject anywhere and they'll kick in pretty quick if it's like a a specific drug then i get that the neck is like closer to the brain but whatever i'm just like overseeing needles go into people's necks yeah he does it at least twice maybe three times and it just doesn't even seem necessary because it's like you already got her like in the trunk, man. Like, right? What more do you need? What are you, what are you, what are you trying to do? What yeah. are you trying to prove at this point? Uh, my my next note, which is probably ten or thirteen scenes later, I don't really remember, is slowest fast taxi scene ever. Because it's a, our next Fast and the Furious scene where somebody's getting away from somebody in a taxi. I don't even remember. It's probably I mean, they're, Vincent. They're well no because so will steals a cab that's to find out more about vincent that happens and it's just really funny because like nobody wants to believe will no matter what's going on no matter if there's a gun in your face everyone's like this is a lie and so yeah which is just i don't know if that's meant to be funny but it comes off a little funny in the cab scene because the cab driver who's got like a gun to his face thinks will is like joking yeah messing with him yeah it's a yeah yeah that is a pretty common thing in this movie and that's the movie would have been much shorter if people just believed him right uh but if the fbi just believed him in that first part of the movie then they instantly like the movie would have been over in 10 minutes they would have just contacted the the cab company who probably has gps and all their their vehicles so so they do fix a couple of things with that so vincent took the gps out of his cab and put it in the trunk of a different cab that's right and put his number on that other cab because will finds that at some point we get no explanation for why this cab driver was okay with any of that happening because he's aware of it so like yeah it is weird like he was probably just like oh no the guy's a good guy let's just let him uh sabotage me and possibly get me killed right it just seems wild but they do do that um because like i i do get kind of mad towards the end of the film when you know when so the feds go to the cab place and find out that this is actually vincent they find out that will's right vincent's still alive and rather than be like okay let's find the girl they go, okay, Will's going to steal more money. Let's go stop him. Right. Right. Their priority is to stop Will from stealing money, not stop Vincent from killing a 15-year-old. Right. That's and they the arrest priority. Him. They arrest Will. I don't remember what for, but he does that classic like thumb break oh, to get yeah. out of the, the handcuffs. Which is you've seen in any every movie that ever has somebody handcuffed in it. They apparently breaking your thumb allows you to immediately escape any handcuffs. Um, 
And my next note is that there's so much answering of unknown calls in this movie. Yeah, everybody like, answers unknown calls. All it was specifically on multiple multiple occasions shows a phone ringing and it says unknown, mm-hmm. and everybody answers it Everyone. every time. Nick Cage's character, Malin Ackerman's character, all of them answer unknown calls constantly. And, and I don't, maybe I'm alone in this, but if I see unknown call, I never answer it. If it's important to leave a message. No, it, it's super weird. Like to an extent I get Nick doing or Will doing it because like it was in this package and he's just out of prison, you know, but why is Riley doing it? Yeah. Right. That's like, a good question. That doesn't make any sense. Um, but like, but, but the he's arrested and he does the the thumb thing and everything right and he causes a wreck a giant wreck that flips the car he's in and an an suv yeah and like he's fine (laughs) right of course he is totally fine also at some point i don't think we brought this up uh the daughter in the trunk rips out a bunch of foam the soundproofing foam and like can now and now has a clear view of like the driver and the outside of the cab so and she, never does anything with that well no she no, tries she to get tries. the cell phone yeah because she, she's trying so there's that australian guy that he yeah. gets forced to pick up and like man who would have thought that vincent would pick up another character that's even more annoying than vincent who would have thought that that was going to happen yeah but he does and um she's trying to poke her finger through the seat to get the attention of this guy this this australian dude and it doesn't work she can't reach him and but he drops his phone so she's trying to dial from the phone somehow she knows how to dial 911 blindly on a blackberry that's sliding around <laughs> but the doesn't seat. know how to press the green button to actually call it but whatever right and so she never gets to actually press call and so nothing ever comes of that um right you know the tail well, light like, trick works because she does she disconnects yeah, the brake light. She does disconnect a brake light at some point, and the car gets pulled over, and they say you got a brake light out. And of course, then he murders the cop. I think or something. Yeah. I don't know. Oh yeah. That, that, that pulled him over. Uh, because why wouldn't he? But um, yeah. Like I thought at some point maybe she would try screaming through this crack because now it's clearly not soundproof. She can you know put her mouth right up to it and yell, and people will hear uh but she never does that i think so. that's how she gets the cop's attention though right because the cop pulls him over and then she's... oh yeah and he says to open the trunk right and then, he, <laughs> and then he gets shot immediately and she almost gets away yeah and so uh, that's when she gets a second neck injection um but yeah so then nick cage escapes obviously because he wrecked this car and is able to get away and That's already fine. got his handcuffs off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he goes to Malin Ackerman and says, I need you to help me with this uh, because they're going to kill my daughter. And of course, because she's the sweetest person on the planet. Left she right. says, yeah, she says yes. And his grand plan is to go through the sewers, I think, up yeah. underneath the bank vault that they saw that was protected only by chain link and melt a bunch of the gold into a bucket of water. Like get cut a hole in the floor and then put so much heat through there that you're melting the gold, mm-hmm. catching it in this bucket of water, and then she's pulling out the cool chunks of gold and putting it into a bag. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I do want to point out. So I watched this on Freevee, and the key art that they used was a shot from the two of them in the sewers where he's using his laser measuring tool to yes. measure distance, which was from a job site apparently. Yeah, 
Uh, what I love about that, though, is the shot that they use, like it's got the laser and everything, certainly made it look like it was supposed to be a weapon of some kind in the, yeah. the, in the screen grab. It's literally and just a measuring device. It's a measuring tape. I actually have one of those. Yeah, and it doesn't shoot out a really cool laser no. light like, like that. So It'd be great if it'd be more useful if it did, because it's hard to use those outside. It is, yeah. You know? It's hard to use those just in general for me. I'm not very good with them. But yeah, <laughs> so they go to a job site before they go to do this major heist. And steal literally any tool they needed to do this specific heist. They are able to get for free from this like abandoned or not abandoned, but probably closed. I don't know. Construction workers aren't working there overnight. So they just leave uh, yeah. all their tools there for them. I was on the fence about whether or not that was found equipment or stashed equipment. It's, it just shows the job site. There's nothing showing that they like stashed this ahead of time. Right. So it's. I'm assuming, just like you assumed that he was being genuine in the other scene, I'm assuming that this was not stashed and they literally just stole all this shit from the job site. But whatever, they get all their shit, they go and uh, and melt all this gold. Not all of it. There's like 20 piles of gold in this room and they have this one pile that they're just melting the middle part of. Which is apparently enough to pay $10 million. I don't know. Gold's expensive, I guess. Yeah, I have no idea. And then I think they... My next note is showdown at an amusement park. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I guess they so, run to an amusement park after this? Yeah, so that's where Vincent... It, it's it's um, it's a fairgrounds, closed down fairgrounds. And that's where Vincent's holding Allison. And Will has to take the gold there. And Riley is like you know sending the fbi off on a wild goose chase right? right and uh then there's another truck that will has we have no explanation of where that truck came from um and yeah he goes and he meets vincent and they have the big climactic showdown while right. the cops are trying to bust the bank robber and not the kidnapper yes and i i put a note here that says this dude is is all villain no redeeming qualities which I thought maybe beyond the like looking like a villain at the beginning and acting like a villain that maybe at some point in the movie we would have something to make him a sympathetic villain. We would find out some bit of backstory or something that would make him a little more relatable. But no, he's nope. literally Rasputin. You can poison him, stab him, shoot him, burn him, and he's going to live through it. Um, and he does for yes. most of that. My next note is Aquaman out of nowhere because you think he's dead. Well, he's like, wait, wait, you don't want to skip over the flaming car ramp jump, right? right? They lock I mean, him in the trunk, I think, right? Allison. And then they, so Allison's in the trunk. Oh, okay. And he's in the car and they jump it and it's on fire. The car's on fire because Vincent set the car on fire. Uh, but he's in it. No, no, Vincent's not in the car. So what happens is uh, Vincent has already poured gasoline all over the trunk of the car with Allison in it. And Vincent wants to hurt Will by taking and this is what vincent says by taking away the only thing yeah you, know, you took away the only thing that i loved which was me so i'm gonna take away the only thing you love and then he lights the car on fire and uh then the two of them will and vincent wrestle and they fight each other and uh his will gets shot in the, in the stomach yeah she's yeah. you know being burned and then he, will gets in the car and drives the car off a ramp the into the water <laughs> thinking that that'll put out the fire which, which it will does, i guess i guess uh, but it's still kind of on fire while it's like sinking <laughs> jesus and so he's trying to open the trunk and he can't because you know 
equal pressures. Doesn't he like uh, do something that makes you think Vincent might be dead right before this? Like he, well, Vincent's on fire. Yeah. So, oh yeah, he's on fire. So on the, yeah, on he, the pier, he's uh, on the deck. He's up. So on you fire. think okay, he's done. Mm-hmm. But, but then the, when, when when Nick Cage's character is trying to get her his daughter out of the trunk, yeah, this is why I said Aquaman out of nowhere. <laughs> this shirtless shirtless horrible like scarred villain looking guy comes out of the water and just like starts fighting him it's like this horrible this is another surprise reveal you get in the movie and... have you ever seen the original friday the 13th uh probably but it's been a while it reminded me of the final shot of the movie where the movie's over and they're sitting on on the the rowboat in the lake and then jason jumps out of the water with his disgusting body right right it that's basically what it was like that. yeah and then so then he like stabs him with a like pipe or something some kind of metal rod yeah yeah and you think he's dead because it shows him like off you know off the side of the screen and then he's alive again again yeah, and so my next note is this dude refuses to die. Mm-hmm. Until he gets locked in the trunk of the sinking underwater. car underwater. And yeah. then I, I suppose he's we, dead. We think he's dead, but who knows? Rasputin couldn't be killed by drowning, so maybe he couldn't either. I don't know. Um, but then Nick Cage's character is very obviously dying. We, the, the FBI people come over to try and help him finally. And uh, they, like, get in an ambulance with him? or in No, the a, helicopter. Or a helicopter. A helicopter. And he he is dying he dies right then you see him stop breathing in front of all these guys well, and because allison asks harley she's like are you gonna arrest my dad and he goes why it's obvious that vincent stole vincent did all this yeah like now all, all right. of a sudden he's on his side but but quite clearly there's no reason for nick cage to fake it at this for his character to fake it at this point right no reason for him to fake dying mm-hmm. not that i'm setting up anything in the next note but <laughs> there's no reason for him to fake dying at this point can we all agree (laughs) the only people that can see him right now are his daughter and the two fbi agents yeah so but then he dies you see him die stop moving stop breathing then in the next scene (laughs) so i put big twist fake oh nick cage dies at the end again and then I went, nope, fake death, big twist. Because immediately you see him in the next scene with Mal and Ackerman. I guess they're married or something now. They're like living together. They're just chilling, man. They're hanging out. And uh, I, there was one, somehow they measured out one pound of gold was missing from the mo- melted gold. And the two FBI agents are still harassing this guy. So that this leads to the question of, they know he's not dead. Right. right yeah because they're fa- they're still watching him who did he put on that performance for my the only thing i can come up with is that he didn't actually die he just kind of passed out from blood loss he stopped breathing his breath had slowed they had to do cpr oh i don't know but obviously he's not fooling harland and fletcher because they're Does watching cpr help when you have like a giant gaping wound in your stomach i feel like you're just pushing more blood out dude i have no idea i'm not a, i'm not a paramedic but... but do harland and fletcher not have any other cases <laughs> they have no on? other cases because <laughs> even after his quote-unquote death um he's with Mel and Ackerman and they're just like hanging out talking they're they have a they have like one of those big uh supersonic hearing things like mm-hmm. it looks like a satellite dish pointed at them and they're at way out on a boat on this like probably the same pier they just jumped off of in the flaming car and there's probably <laughs> the dudes I thought the dude was going to come out of the water alive again Vincent and oh, get them but uh they're listening to this conversation because they're trying to find this one pound of gold it was 10 million dollars before now is one pound of gold out of 10 that he stole 
Can you and, believe uh, that he got the exact right amount of gold? One, one exact pound. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so they're listening to him and it sounds like they're talking about the gold. And so, you know, there's some confliction between like Nick Cage's character. Pounds. Well, they stole 10 pounds. No, 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 no. They stole way more than 10 pounds. They stole a whole bre- the whole duffel bag. Oh, maybe it was 10 pounds. Whatever. It was like one nugget, like fist-sized nugget. It was pretty big. I guess. It was like the size of a large pine cone. No spoilers. But What's though? Yes, because they... I'm going to... Okay, I said no, no spoilers, but spoil I'm about it. to spoil we it We spoil right the whole now. movie here. They throw a, a large pine cone it's into a pine, the water. It's a, it's, it's, but that thing is concrete. It's like a stone statue piece. Of a pine cone. Yeah, but not a real one. It's not like actual anyway, size. Yeah, so they're talking about this gold and like, oh, we should just throw it in the water. That'd be the right thing to do. Blah, blah, blah. Because they know the FBI is listening. And Harlan and, and Fletcher both have different opinions. Harlan wants him to throw it. Fletcher wants him to not throw it so they so can, that arrest, he can him. arrest him. Yeah. And so uh, he like walks out of the water like he's going to throw it and then he doesn't. And then she's like, do you want that weighing on your conscience? Like nothing else weighing on his conscience is going to be a problem, but this will be. And then he throws something into the water. And, and the FBI big twist. are happy. They're happy, and it's not the gold because it shows like a spray painted gold rock right after this. It's definitely not actual gold, <laughs> or like even a prop made to look like gold. It's just a rock that somebody took some gold spray paint to, and it like pans up from the water and shows this gold nugget. And that's how the movie ends. It is. I'm not joking. That's it. No, that's it's the end of the movie. Really then there's rough. a really long credit sequence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that's the whole movie, man. That's the movie. Yeah, that is the welcome. whole movie. We watched it so you don't have to. But if you want to, I'm sure you'll regret it too. Fair enough. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. I mean, there's not a whole lot else to say about oh, it. Oh, I guess I did want to there was a couple things I wanted to talk about that I didn't really have a note for. Uh I don't think that Mardi Gras in New Orleans was necessarily the best setting for this movie i don't think it really added a ton to this movie first of all i don't remember i've only been to new orleans once but i don't remember there being that many cabs running through new orleans all the time that seems like something they set up for the movie maybe i'm wrong maybe i just like went to it during a time when there wasn't a lot of cabs there i feel like a place like new york or la or someplace where cabs are notorious for being on every corner you know would have been a better location yeah, I mean, apparently, according according to IMDb, the majority of the taxi cabs, however, were real local taxis. The taxi cabs that did volunteer for the service were mostly independently owned and not fleet taxis, as the majority of them had advertising signs on the roof. Okay. So, I still think plot-wise, in terms of the movie, when I think of a movie that uses a taxi as a main plot point, I would not pick New Orleans as the place for that movie to take place. Maybe no, that's just me. No, I agree. And it's interesting because, you know, Zondali takes place in New Orleans as well. So we've watched two Nick Cage movies now that take place in New Orleans. And he only had an accent in one of them. <laughs> so that's fun. You can guess which one. Yeah. Not this one. You don't have to guess now. No. Okay. But that's it. That's the movie, that's man. That's the Yeah, that's movie. it. That was really the taxi thing kind of bothered me. But yeah, that was really the only like overarching plot point where I was like, this doesn't make that much sense to me. But well, that's the only, only like mean, really big plot point that did make sense to me. There was some other stuff that was like obviously very questionable, but yeah. I mean, it just kind of got worse and worse as the movie goes on. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it, I, I'm it, hoping this one was direct to video and not actually released <laughs> in theaters, but I have a feeling it made like $8 million in theaters or something. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't actually look because we don't usually care too much about that on this show. Well, all these movies, I always look at the IMDb and then I'm like, wow, this one made $6.3 million on a $20 million budget or something like that. <laughs> it's like, no wonder, man. Who paid to see this? God, the tag, the tagline, 12 hours, $10 million, one kidnapped daughter. And a train to Tuscaloosa. <laughs> a train to Tuscaloosa. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Box office. Here we go. The budget was approximately $35 million, And worldwide, it grossed $17.4 Okay, so I was off. But it still did really. That's a bomb. But we consider that a bomb in the biz. Here's what's interesting. Only $304,000 were U.S. and Canada wow so, so china really loved this somebody movie. liked it yeah yeah that's funny <laughs> i mean i don't know i guess that maybe they didn't get take the real taken movie in china or something and so they were like we this movie is awesome that that would do it right yeah i don't know that's really funny yeah but i guess we should probably rate this thing huh yeah yeah let's do it so uh we rate each movie on two different scales uh, overall quality and overall caginess both are zero to 20 with zero being low and 20 being high so ryan let's go with quality where would you rate the overall quality of stolen i don't know i kind of want to hear where you're at but I'm, i feel like i'm between like a four and a five it wasn't the worst movie we reviewed by any means and it was somewhat entertaining but it was not good here's where things get tough right because i start looking back at the other movies we've done and i start thinking well this is better than that this is worse than that and i start questioning some of our scores from before like would you put this above dying of the light i don't even remember dying of the light so i'd probably put it equivalent to dying of the light that was the anton yelchin one where oh no i'd say it's probably about the same about the same okay well we gave we both gave that a six okay so So yeah it's not that far you're giving this a five Sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to do a little bit better than that because I definitely thought it was more entertaining than Dying of the Light. Uh, I think it was not as silly as Next, right? Um, but it was better and better than Inconceivable, um, and more watchable than Cotton Club. So I'm going to give it an eight. Wow. Okay. we we have a big difference on this one. A little bit. A little bit. So that brings it to what a seven. Six and, six, and half, and six and a half six and a half six and a half um okay so a six and a half on overall quality now we gotta do caginess yeah there's let's really, hear your score on caginess there's not much caginess in here you know like he doesn't really do anything particularly wild or crazy he's a fairly toned down character he's fairly level-headed you don't really see him go off you know other than of course the fight scene but that's not really caginess right. so I want to put that fairly low, maybe like a two. Yeah, I would agree with that. Okay. It's it's just not cagey at all. Like right? they, they hired cage and then didn't use like his greatest strengths. Right. They did get the one scene where it was like really good acting, but that was not cagey at all no. in yeah. general, at least by our definition of cagey. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So, okay, so that gives it uh, a six and a half on quality and a two on caginess. So, yeah, there you go. That there sounds you about have right. It. 
Uh, if you want to see where this lies, where it falls with the rest of our Nicolas Cage movies, uh, make sure you uh, follow us on social media and check out our Cage meter to find out where it lands on that. So next, what we got to do is we have to figure out what movie is going to join the wheel o cage so you know each week we spin our wheel or each time we spin our wheel and we pick you know a new movie but of course we have to add something to our wheel and the movie that's going to join the wheel is gone in 60 seconds that's a fun one i haven't seen that since i was a kid so i'll be excited to see that one it's been a long time i've been looking forward to watching that one but who knows when it's going to come up on the wheel so you'll have to uh, follow us to see the wheel o cage and find out what movie we're talking about next go to comingofcage.com for all of that social media goodness our cage o meter the wheel o cage other episodes on your podcast app of choice ryan anything else you'd like to add tonight yeah, earlier I said you could watch this movie if you wanted to, and that you'd regret it, but you probably just shouldn't watch it. I take that back. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Ryan, Happy New Year, man. Yeah, Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us in the new year. Yes, we love both of you. We do. We love all of the ones of you. <laughs> yes, the single digits. You're all great. <laughs> but hey, if you're out there, you know. Come say hi. We appreciate you. We're out there too. All right. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll catch you next time.